James chapter 1. Um, I thought for about 10 seconds on beginning with another verse tonight, but I really feel like James 1 is where we're supposed to begin. And um, so we're going to do that. I know we've done a lot of teaching from James 1 over the last several weeks, and, um, but tonight we're going to it for a little different purpose in the sense that we're going to connect it with some other things that the Bible has to say um, about faith and the and temptation and the testing and trying of our faith. And um, so, amen. I, I like to go to verses over and over and over again, time and time and time again, so that you'll become more familiar with them. Um, well, they say repetition is the mother of learning, so the more something is repeated, the more it becomes a part of our, our minds and our thinking. Um, but also, to, to really kind of dig down in um, to the Word of God. Uh, Brother Bruce gave me a gold spoon uh, for Christmas. And you don't mind me saying that, do you, Brother? I mean, I know it was kind of a personal thing between you and me, but, but he said it's not for eating, it's for digging. And, uh, and so we like to dig down into verses. Um, and I can't tell you how many times, you know, um, it, it's the 38th time that that I look at a verse that I get my greatest understanding and revelation from it. And um, so anyway, James chapter 1, we'll begin at verse number 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Sometimes I think what gets lost in all of this is that it's the testing, the tempting, or the trying of your faith. And, you know, we were created by God to live by faith, and the enemy of your soul, Satan, is um, trying to prevent you and me from living the life that God created us to live, create, to, to, to try to keep us, prevent us from, um, you know, possessing the things that Jesus paid such a high price for us to possess, um, and, and literally accomplishing the things um, that, that we've been made one with God to accomplish um, in the earth. And so the more you travel down the pathway of faith, the more you lay hold on the life that God created you to live and the greater threat you become to the enemy. Now, we spent a great deal of time last Wednesday evening looking at that phrase, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And we said that perfect and complete, lacking nothing is the will of God for my life. And don't be uh, uh, fooled by you know, those few little words there because what they're communicating is uh, an enormous amount of truth and wisdom concerning the life that God created you and me to live. So a few statements that we've made, and then we'll look at some new stuff. Uh, number one, you must learn to live by faith if you are going to live your best life. Um, you can't have the best life that God uh, created for you and put within reach for you apart from learning to live by faith. Walking by faith is how you continue to progress more and more into the life God created you to live, laying hold of more and more of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of you. The other point is Satan knows as long as he can keep you from truly living by faith, he can keep you from the life of success, victory, and abundance that God has for you. So the pathway of faith is the pathway to your best life, but it is not the path of least resistance. We've got to remember that now, because um, a lot of times we, we've been trained in life by the world um, to take the path of least resistance. 
And um, I often say, yeah, God created us to thrive, um, yet most people settle for just surviving. And the reason we settle for surviving is because we've been raised by survivors. We have a survival mindset. Because we think like survivors, we live like survivors. Jesus didn't come to teach us how to survive. He came to teach us how to thrive. So if we're going to thrive in life, it's going to require you and me getting on the pathway of faith, the pathway that God has for our lives, amen, um, and being able to endure. That's what he was talking about in James 1. Um, you know, when your faith is tested, uh, to endure, to stand, to not be moved um, off of the path that uh, God has um, for your life, that pathway of faith. Now, if we jump down to verse 12, same chapter, James chapter 12, James chapter 1, I'm sorry, verse 12. He says this, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. I was responding to... Um, a message that I received today, and I felt inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to speak these words into a brother's life, and, and um, I actually went back later and, uh, and copied and pasted them um, out of that message and, and put them on a slide, and it's basically a, a summation of, of a couple of those verses. Blessed and crowned with life is the man who endures the enemy's efforts to move him off the pathway of faith. Amen. And that's what he's saying here. If I could summarize these verses, he's talking about us enduring the, the pressure enduring um, the, the, the test, the trial, the temptation that comes from the enemy to try to slow you down, to try to stop you, to try to back you up, and to try to reroute you off of the pathway of faith. Now, the next passage I want us to look at tonight is out of the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, um, it says this, And also, if anyone competes in athletics... He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. One more time. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, rules by definition are the principles or regulations that govern conduct in an activity or domain. Now I know that's kind of wordy, but it is a really good definition of what he is saying here. So I want us to take a moment to understand what rules are. Because I think as you know, Christians, as, as born-again people, as people who are you know, in church on a Wednesday night, amen, when we hear the word rules we have a tendency to automatically think of commandments. We have a tendency to automatically think of the thou shalt nots. But that is, that is a limited understanding of what he's talking about here. So again, we're talking about the crown of life. We're talking about being blessed, and we're talking about ruling and reigning in life. 
And he says that it's the one who endures temptation that will be crowned. It's the one who stands against the enemy's efforts to move them off of the pathway of faith that God has for them into an alternate pathway, into, a, into another course of life. And he says the one who endures in faith will be given the crown of life and will be empowered by God to prosper in life. Now notice the, the parallel or the connecting passage, the related passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. It says, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So if you and I, if we are going to uh, be crowned with life, if we are going to rule and reign in life, then we're going to have to compete in life according to the rules. So let's go back to what rules are. Rules are the principles or regulations that govern conduct in an activity or domain. Now, look, I know that some of you could care less about football and some of you could care less about, you know, uh, in other words, your team wasn't in the playoffs the other night. So I'm not going to, you know, try to spend too much time talking about these things. But I think it would help us if we step aside from the spiritual aspect of this and look at it within the context of physical athletics. Because that is exactly the parallel that this verse is making. So when we talk about the, um, the principles and regulations that govern the game of football, we see that those rules are more than what a player cannot do. In other words, the same rule that says you can't step out of bounds and then come back in and continue to make progress if you've got the ball are the same rules that say the quarterback can throw the ball down the field to a receiver. So when we're talking about the principles or regulations that govern conduct, we're not just talking about the ones that limit, but we're also talking about the ones that allow and make way for the progress to be made, the, the touchdown to be scored, and ultimately the game to be won. Are you following what I'm saying tonight? So when the Bible says that if we're going to be crowned in this life, ruling and reigning in life, ruling and reigning over principalities and powers, ruling and reigning over poverty, over sickness, over death, ruling and reigning over devils and demons. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? Ruling and reigning over circumstances and situations, ruling and reigning over foul weather patterns. If we're going to be crowned with the crown of life and rule and reign in life, we're going to have to govern our conduct in the activity or domain according to the rules. Now, for you and me, the activity is life. And the domain is this earth. So we're talking about the principles or regulations that govern conduct in life on earth. Are you with me? The, the, the activity is life, the domain, the field, if you will, that we're competing on is life on earth. So the crown of life then that was mentioned in James, listen to me now, is not referring to something received in heaven, but instead a crown from heaven enabling you to rule and reign in life on earth. 
Now again, he says, you will not be crowned unless you compete according to the rules, the principles and regulations that govern life on earth. So what are the principles and regulations that govern life on earth? What are those principles and regulations? Well, we could be here all of this year, uh, you know, effectively teaching on those things. Rather than looking at, you know, some of the smaller things, I want us to at least begin tonight by looking at some of the larger things. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in verse number 13. It says this, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I'm offering to you tonight that the Creator has established the governing principles, the governing regulations of life, and He has revealed those governing principles, those governing regulations to us in this one verse. In other words, if we will learn to do life according to faith, hope, and love, those are the principles, those are the regulations that will lead us to victory, that will lead us to success, that will lead us to accomplishment, that will lead us to ruling and reigning in life. They, they are and they define for you and me how to succeed, how to win. They define for you and me how to please God. They define for you and me how to have effective, healthy, prosperous relationships with other people. These governing principles of faith, hope, and love. Now, we're going to focus tonight, as we have been over the last several weeks, on faith. But when this passage says, now abide faith, hope, love, these three, he's talking about these three all standing together. In other words, you can't have one and be effective in one without the other. For example, the Bible says that faith is energized by love. Love is to your faith what fuel is to your car. Amen. So we have to walk in faith but in order to walk in faith, we've got to learn how to walk in love. You can't walk in faith and not walk in love. You're cutting yourself off at the knees. You're undermining your efforts. But when we begin to walk in love with other people, we begin to understand what it is to love as an act of our will. Loving as an act of your will, it's, it's like if, if your faith is a fire, it's like throwing gasoline on it. You can have the best automobile manufactured on planet Earth, but if there is no gas in the tank, it will not do for you what that automobile was designed to do. And you have the absolute best faith that exists in all the universe. You have the faith that God has, and He has given you His faith, His faith in your heart. He gave it to you as a gift. It is absolutely perfect faith that will accomplish anything and everything that needs to be accomplished in your life. But if there's no love to fuel it, it will set idle in the driveway of your heart. Now, hope is a confident expectation of something in the future. Hope provides a blueprint for your faith to build in your life. 
Faith is the substance of what you hope for. Faith gives birth to. Faith gives and brings reality to in your, in your life the things that you are confidently expecting in the future. Satan knows, and we talked about this in a sermon entitled An Overview of Faith, but let me just remind you again. God gave you faith. Romans 12.3 He has given to every man the measure of faith. So the enemy cannot take from you what God has given to you. So he tries to neutralize your faith by taking you out of a walk, walking in love, and he tries to neutralize your faith by, by bringing you into a place, a position of hopelessness. If there's no love to fuel it, and if there's no hope to provide a blueprint for it, the powerful force of faith that's in your heart will sit there idle and, and never affect what it could otherwise produce an effect in your life. Wow. Wow. I talk about this early and often, but I'm going to remind you again, most people, most people on planet Earth are playing outside the rules. In other words, in, instead of living a life of faith, hope, and love, they're living a life of fear, regret, and selfishness. If you're going to be crowned, you've got to compete according to the rules, the governing principles. And the governing principles of life are faith, hope, and love. So how can we ever succeed living in fear, regret, and selfishness? My God, I want us to just stand here and say that 50 more times tonight. The enemy knows this. That's why he's trying to manipulate you and, and work against you. Put negative thoughts in your, in your mind. Getting you to act on those negative thoughts. The repercussions, the consequences of those negative thoughts. Creating fear in your life. Creating regrets in your life. Hope is looking forward. Regrets looking backwards. Faith is looking to God. Fear is looking to yourself and man. Love, love is looking outward. Selfishness is focused inward. Amen. Faith enables you to see beyond this created realm. Hope enables you to see beyond your current circumstances. And love enables you to see beyond yourself. And if you never learn to see beyond yourself, you'll never learn to see beyond your current circumstances. And if you never learn to see beyond your current circumstances, you'll never learn to see beyond this created realm. That's why the greatest of these three is love. And that's why the most powerful of the negative three is selfishness. Selfishness. If we're going to be crowned, we've got to compete according to the rules, according to the regulations, according to the governing principles. According to, I've often referred to faith, hope, and love as God's system of guaranteed success. Any area of your life you want to fail in, just leave faith out of it and you'll keep failing. But if you want to succeed as a husband, as a wife, if you want to succeed as a mom, as a dad, if you want to succeed in ministry, if you want to succeed in finances, if you want to succeed in business, then learn how to do those things by faith, open love, and you'll succeed. And no devil in hell can stop you. Governing principles. Verses you may already be familiar with. Hebrews 10 and 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Remember that, let's go back to this for a moment. James chapter 1. 
Let no one say when he is tested, tempted, or tried. That word translated tempted in another place translated tried, in another place translated test. It's the same identical word in the original language. Let no one say when he's tested, tempted, or tried, I'm tested, tempted, or tried by God, for God cannot be tested, tempted, or tried by evil, nor does he himself test, tempt, or try anyone. The word evil there, you remember what we said that it means a lot of things. We get our, we get our English word foul, and that doesn't just mean foul like as in bad, but foul like as in stepped out of bounds, committed a foul in athletics, broke the rules. It's evil. That's where the word evil, literally, our English word evil is translated from these group, group, these Greek synonyms. Amen. You still with me tonight? One of the words is the word kakos. It comes from a word that originally meant cowardly. Somebody who was all dressed up to fight but would, would not go into battle. Someone who pulled back and stopped short of the full measure. Are you seeing this? In other words, we're, we're laying hold of that which Christ Jesus laid hold of us. Satan is tempting you, testing you, trying you with evil. In other words, he's trying to get you to pull back and stop short of the full measure of what God has for you, what Jesus paid such a high price for you to have. So let no one say when he's tested, tempted, or tried, I'm tested, tempted, or tried by God, for God cannot be tested, tempted, or tried to stop short or pull back from the full measure, nor does he himself test, tempt, or try anyone to stop short or pull back of the full measure. Now with that said, let's go to Hebrews 10.38. The just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Governing principles. This is how we live. The word walk is literally a word meant to communicate to you and me our lives on a moment-by-moment, step-by-step basis. So many times we think of faith as something we use for the big events, for the challenging things. God help us for the things that we think we can't handle ourselves. But that is not what faith is about. That is not how we're to look at faith. Faith is something that we are to live by, to take every step of our lives by. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by the way things look. We walk by faith, not by the way things feel. We walk by faith, not by the way things seem. The enemy of your soul manipulates the way things look, the way things seem, the way things feel. But he's not going to deceive us anymore, right? We're going by faith. 1 John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory. This is the championship. This is how we overcome the world, our faith. I've carried this verse with me to the pulpit I don't know how many times. I think we mentioned it last week. But it's Romans 14, 23. And this is... Um, the last part of it. That's why I've got the little B there. And I, 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 I cut it out like that because I wanted you to focus on that one phrase. For whatever is not of faith is sin. You see that? I remember as a kid still struggling with legalism, still struggling with self-righteousness, still struggling with this idea, this, this, this wrong, um, you know, unbiblical belief that my behavior determined my righteousness and that I would try really really hard not to sin and if I if I 
did good and didn't sin, then God would love me. And if God would love me, then maybe one day He would use me. Right? <laughs> uh, amen. I, thank you, Jesus, for just being so patient with me. Right? I used to lay on my face for hours begging God to use me. You know, if I'd have been listening, he was probably saying something like, well, why don't you get up from there and go do something for somebody, right? But anyway, so anyway, praise God. Oh, so we're learning. We're growing together. Amen. So if you've bought into that crazy idea that your righteousness is dependent upon your behavior, then this verse is going to keep you up at night. Amen. Amen. Because the Bible says not if it's something sexual outside of God's Word, not if it's a lie, not if it's stealing. Not, see, all that stuff, we say, well, you know, I try hard not to do that. I try hard not to do that. And somehow that'll, I'll be right before God in the eyes of God. I'll make myself righteous. But then he says something like this. He said, hey, son, if it's not a faith, it's sin. I realized real quick that... Uh, I'm glad my righteousness isn't dependent upon my behavior. I learned real quick. I say real quick. It took me a little while, but the rules can't save me. Now, this verse is not meant to scare you or terrorize you. It's meant to instruct you. He says, if it's not of faith, it's sin. If it's not from faith, the New King James Version says, it's sin. Before you'll ever understand this, you've got to first understand what sin is. The word sin means to miss the mark, to miss the full scope and true end of one's life. Think about that for a moment now. To miss the mark, to miss the full scope and true end of one's life. I feel compelled to mention this now. I'm going to develop it. The Holy Spirit's going to help us. We're going to develop it further in the future. But let me go ahead and tell you something right quick, okay? This is something the Lord began. And I guess I knew this, but I didn't know that I knew it. I mean, I, in other words, when he began to share it with me, I thought, man, you know, I, I'm sure I've heard somebody else say that before, but listen to me very carefully. Everything that God created has a predetermined end. Everything that God has created has a predetermined end, including you. Now the good news is the predetermined end that God established for you is found in Romans 8, and it is that He predetermined that you would be conformed into the image of His Son. Amen. That is God's highest and best for you. That we are in Christ. Come on now, anybody in Christ tonight? We are in Christ, but Ephesians says we're now growing up into Him in all things. Oh, that's good news right there. Amen. A predetermined end. Satan has a predetermined end. This earth has a predetermined end. The Bible says that God declares the end of a thing from the beginning of that thing. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Paul said he was pressing, he was striving to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus had laid hold of him. In other words, because Jesus had a hold of him, 
he's now pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I like to start simple and go to, to complex, but let's just satisfy for now saying it this way. God's calling on your life is an upward call. He's calling you to a higher place. He's calling you to a better place. Come on now. He's got better for you than you've ever experienced, than you've ever had. So to miss the mark means for you and me to make decisions that would carry us off of the predetermined course to the predetermined end that God has established for us. Amen? And therefore to miss the full scope and true end of one's life. You have a destiny. You have a destiny. You have a purpose. The Bible says that purpose is eternal and it was written in a book before you were formed in your mother's womb. We almost know this instinctively, intuitively. People have a close brush with death and the words often coming out of their mouth are something like, there must be a reason for me to still be here. And there is. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Whatever is not of faith is time and effort wasted going around and around in circles. You might want to write this one down. Whatever is not of faith is time and effort spent traveling in a wrong direction towards an inferior life. You know i got to say it again. Whatever is not of faith is time and effort spent traveling in a wrong direction towards an inferior life. Whatever is not of faith is missing the mark. Whatever is not of faith is going to cause you to miss the full scope and true end of your life. Therefore, whatever is not of faith is against the rules, the governing principles God has established for your success and prosperity. One last verse, really two verses, one last passage. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore we also... Stop for a moment, look at me. If you are familiar with the book of Hebrews, then you may be familiar with chapter 11, which is often referred to as Faith's Hall of Fame. In other words, the 11th chapter in the book of Hebrews lists all of these men and women from the past and what they accomplished by faith. And how women, for instance, received their dead to life again. How there were people that were put under such stressful and and. I don't even, stressful is not a strong enough word. Desperate situations to where they were literally sawn in half, martyred, but refused to take a step out of bounds off the pathway of faith. The Bible says this world wasn't worthy of those men and women. They weren't, they were, they were too good. You know, sometimes we say of somebody that's arrogant, well, 
They just think they're too good. No, no, God said they were too good for this earth. So he's building this up. When I was in college, I had a class that was called Voice and Diction. And um, I made an A in the class, but you know, it's kind of one of those things where you learn and study and learn and study, and then you, you kind of forget it. So if you listen to me speak, you <laughs> often think about Dr. Flowers. If she ever heard me preach, she would probably just wag her head, you know, like I failed miserably to teach him how to speak plainly. But anyway, are you still with me tonight? Voice and diction. So part of the class was um, we had certain things that we would have to stand in front of the class and read and be graded on how we pronounced uh, the words and, you know, did we slur our endings and... You know, like, do we say uh, fixing to go do something? You know, that kind of stuff. So, anyhow, the last assignment um, was we could pick anything we wanted to read. All the other assignments, everybody read the same thing so that we could train our ear for what other, you know. Part of it is being able to recognize, you know, when you're talking like somebody from Alabama, you know. But anyway, praise God, I'm from Alabama and proud of it. So, anyway, are you still with me tonight? Some of you, all right, I got the right bunch, don't I? All right, so. So the way she did it, too, is because some people were just scared to death of getting up in front of folks and saying anything, reading anything. So she just, you know, I forget, 58, however many people in the class on the board. And when you got to class, you went and wrote your name by a number. And I always wanted to get it over with. You know, I just write it and do it, you know what I'm saying? So, but anyway, I got there that day. I think, I, I don't remember, number 11 for some reason comes to mind. But anyway, I, that was the closest slot I wrote my name in. I had prepared to read Hebrews 11. I really, I was wanting to read 1 Corinthians 13, but I just kept feeling drawn back to Hebrews 11. And so, I mean, you have to prepare it. You, you understand, I mean, you got to go through there and make sure you're going to say every word exactly right and get your ends and all this stuff right. So, so anyway, I was ready and I was ready to go and, and going to be real formal and proper with it, you know. Um, this was during the days, by the way, of some of you will recognize these names, um, Jim Baker, Tammy Faye Baker, Jimmy Swaggart, Marvin Gorman, all those men just got caught with prostitutes and were battling it out with each other. You know, I mean, it, the, the class knew that I was a pastor or, you know, had been, was a preacher and was wanting to be in the ministry. So anyway, it was, it, it was not a, the best time, I guess, uh, that, that if there is such, you know, to be in a you know, liberal institution like a university. But anyhow, I just wrote my name on number 11 and waited for my time. The young lady who signed in at number 10, she had some piece that was borderline vulgar and basically made fun of and made light of everything I believed in. God, Jesus, church, televangelist, I mean just just blasted. It was a humor piece, and the class was rolling. I mean, the class was, I mean, she had them, buddy. She, she was doing it right. And I'm sitting there licking my chops, right? Amen. And so um, you, the way it went, when she finished, you know, she went to sit down, and then the next person would go, and I would have to hand a copy of what I was reading to the professor. And so 
I didn't even, I just walked by, I just handed it to, to, to Miss Flowers, Dr. Flowers, and I went and I took the podium while they're still like laughing and the, the room hasn't died down yet. And I began, not in proper voice and diction, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. You follow what I'm saying? And just, man, and I'm talking about when I got to the part about people giving their lives for what they believe and this world not being worthy of them, I was in a lather at the top of my lungs and you could have heard a pin drop on three floors in that building. And when I got through, I just folded up my, my Bible and I went and sit back down in my, in my, in my slot. And, um, and it touched my professor. It, it touched her. At the end of that, in those days it was quarters, we'd call it semester. She came to me in tears and she said, my son's been diagnosed with a brain tumor, would you please pray for him? And I said, I'll, I'll be honored to pray for him. And um, I said, if it's not gonna embarrass you, I'd like for just me and you to pray for him right now. And she said, yes, please. And um, next quarter slash semester, I didn't have any classes with her, but she came and found me in a class and asked me to step outside and told me that God had healed her son. Amen. God had healed her son. Hallelujah. For some reason, I hadn't relived that story in a long time, but this is the goodness of God. Um, so that is what led up to verse 1, chapter 12, therefore we also. In other words, he's saying, we're in on this. Faith isn't just something for our forefathers to survive in the wilderness. He says, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. If I could be so bold... When I stood in that room that day, the men and women, Abraham, Enoch, Moses, those folks were cheering me on. That's the cloud of witnesses that he's talking about. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, us meaning what? Me, you, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand the throne of God. I'm out of time. Let me say these last three things. Our instructions are to lay aside every weight and every sin so that we can run the race before us. A race is always run on a pre determined course. When people line up to race, the guy with the gun doesn't say, y'all all be back here as fast as you can. Pow, no. The course is predetermined. A predetermined course that leads to victory, success, and prosperity has been set before you. Amen. Amen. A predetermined course. We stay on that course by faith, we win. If it looks like we're losing, we're still winning. 
Because we don't go by what it looks like. Amen? We stay on the course, we win, because we're running a race, and a race is a predetermined course, and we're running this race by faith. Amen? All right, stand with me. There's more to come on this, but let me pray for you. Father, thank you tonight for the men and women in this room. Thank you tonight for the things that you're teaching us. Thank you tonight, Father, that we are men and women of faith. Father, that you are teaching us to live by the rules, and we're not talking about just the Ten Commandments, Father. You're teaching us how to, how to live by the governing principles. Lord, we're progressing from what we shouldn't do and how we shouldn't live to learning to live how you created us to live and what we are to do and how we are to speak and how we are to think and how we are to conduct ourselves. And I thank you, Father, that we're already beginning to see change and progress. We're already beginning to see breakthrough and victory. We're already beginning to see increase. We're already beginning to see uh, more peace, more joy, uh, more contentment in our lives, Father. And I thank you that the best is still to come. Let everything that my brothers and sisters put their hands to, Lord, in the coming days, prosper for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck.